Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. Amen. Um, we're going to do Pyromaniacs Part 2. Where are my pyros at? Like three of us. <laughs> you guys are all too... We're passive-aggressive Minnesota. We're too nice. I'm asking you to be an arson, man. All right. Not, don't go light a building on fire or anything like that. But I want to just pray that you get so on fire for God in this series. And uh, I hope you see him a little bit differently throughout this series. I hope that um, God just, man, just infiltrates your entire spirit with who he is and how he wants to operate in and through you. Um, because you are really the hope of the world. That's what the church is, okay? You're the hope of the world, man. If we don't tell other people our story, who's going to? Well, the pastor is. <laughs> no. I will, and I've shared with a few people this week, probably 10 or 12, but that's on all of us to do that and to share the story. Um, how many of you, since, it, since it's Christmas time out, I figured we'll start with a Christmas story. I was telling my wife a few, few years ago, on you know, April 6th is my birthday, I remember receiving a bike for my birthday and getting up in the morning and just biking around, and I'm going, I'm going to slip getting into my car this morning in my driveway going... God, really? Like, really? What did we do, Lord? Seriously. Has anyone here considered moving south this week? Anybody? We're going to start a campus in Clearwater Beach, Florida. Who would like to go and be part of our launch team? All right. <laughs> so, where'd Chris go? Why is he on video every Sunday now? Well, it's because no one brought me filet mignon today. Um, if you weren't here last week, I told everybody to bring me filet rather than peeps. You missed it. So you have to listen back. No, I, I got one of my first Christmas gifts. Hey, and how many like Christmas? Like, that's like your holiday. Anybody? Like, like Christmas is your deal? Okay. I like Christmas. I'm not a big Christmas music fan. And so this is really nice. I know. Don't, don't gasp. Um, we have, this is like kind of nice. I'm looking at the positive. There's no mosquitoes outside. And, and there's Christmas outside without the Christmas music, right? So that's, that's like, some of you are like, that's so bad. Um, I remember getting a gift for Christmas. And I loved getting gifts, man. I, I love to give gifts. I also love to receive gifts. And, and I remember, I was really young. I, I think I was like five or six years old. Some of you are going to remember this. You're going to date yourself right now. But I remember seeing this ad, you know, Children's Palace. Do you remember Children's Palace? You know, like it was like Toys R Us or KB Toys. KB Toys just bought all the old Toys R Us because they went out of business. But uh, Children's Palace had this thing I really wanted. There was two different things. I either wanted this like cool racetrack thing or a Cabbage Patch doll. I didn't go for the Cabbage Patch doll, no. I, I wanted the racetrack. And how many remember this racetrack? It was really cool. It was real simple. You had to like clip on the side rails. But then on the track, it had like two different cars. And it was a U-shape. But here's the cool part about the racetrack is that you put it down. And it actually went like, like to the wall and then up the wall and back down. And you had this little lever with a little, uh, if you pulled it, kind of like the old electric uh, train set. How many remember this? Okay. And you put the little, your little pin in the racetrack and you, you, you know, it was like zero to 60. That was your only speed. And you'd pull it and it smelled really bad. You know, you think you're going to fry electricity. I, I was like, mom, dad, that's what I want. I still want that toy, please. And, and my mom and dad were, they got it for me. And so, well, Santa did. And so, you know, that morning I opened it up and I'm like, yes, I rip into it. Unlike my grandpa who says, anyway. And, and so I rip into it and I get it. I'm so excited. I set it up and I have one sibling and I'm like, her name's Angela, my younger sister. I said, come on, come on, you got to play. I got I to learn to do this. And so we get our little guns and we start going at it. And it was like the greatest gift in the world for about 15 minutes. After 15 minutes, we never played with it again. <laughs> 
I was like, this is boring. This is stupid. We're in the garage sale pile. You know, I'm like, I'm just done with this. Anybody ever have that with a gift where you get, you're like, that's what I want. And you get it and you're like, eh, eh. It's like, man, it was fine. It was good. But like the newness of it, the excitement, you're just like, ah, I just don't even care anymore. Here's what I want to say to you. Last week, we had so many people that were like, yes, I want to give my life to Christ. We talked about sharing your story, what that actually means. And here's, here's the life-giving news I want to give to you today. Sharing your story is hard, first of all. Second, when you give your life to Christ, everything's not a cherry tree, okay? Everything just doesn't blossom and it's perfect and it smells like wonderful perfume. No, here's the life-giving news. We're, we're a life-giving church. That's our mission. We want everything to be life-giving. So here it is for the day. Every single one of you will be discouraged at one time in your life. Thank you so much. Last week we talked about spreading that fire. But pastor, I tried. I tried to share my story. I gave up. But pastor, I don't want you to know that I didn't share because I don't want to feel guilty today that I didn't share my story last week. You know? And so what happens is we get discouraged. I didn't do it. I didn't measure up. I didn't do it well enough. I didn't do it good enough. You know, I gave my life to Christ. But man, this last week, I don't know if he even looked like a Christian again. Okay? Discouragement takes no effort. Takes no effort. But fighting it takes absolutely everything. Takes everything in you. And so what I want to say to you this morning is don't just love your life where it's at. Lead it into what it could be. Lead your life into what your potential actually is. And so here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to jump into one of my favorite books in the Bible. We'll put the scripture up there in just a, a little bit, but I want to get everybody on the same page this morning. This, this guy in the Bible is a stud. He is like leader of all leaders. As a pastor, I aspire to be like this Bible guy, okay? And his name is Nehemiah. Now, maybe you're going, I've never heard of Nehemiah before. Let's get everybody on the same page together. So a long time ago, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so God sent them back into exile to this place called Babylon, all right? A city that worshiped other gods other than the true God. While they were in this exile in Babylon, after about 70 years, God got a hold of someone's heart. His name was Nehemiah. Nehemiah learned that all of this wall in Jerusalem was collapsed. It was gone. And he broke his heart because he was from Jerusalem. He was an Israelite where they were from. And he's like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And he's like, I've earned the trust of the king. In fact, he was known as a wine tester or some versions say a cupbearer. So what he would do is with the king, he would actually test the wine before he'd give it to the king. Why? Because if someone's going to die, they wanted to be him, not the king, right? You want to protect the king. But he had to trust, the king had to trust him because what could have Nehemiah done? He could have poisoned that cup and killed the king and ruined the whole kingdom. So they built this trust, and so Nehemiah goes to the king, and he says, King, my heart's broken because the walls of Jerusalem are in rubbles, they're in heaps, and so I want to go back, and I want to rebuild this wall. Here's what's very interesting. You don't read this in Scripture, but what could have happened is the king of Babylon at that time could have said, No, we're going to bring you out to the guillotine right now, and it's over. That's what the king could have said, but he didn't. The king said, rather, instead he said, Okay, you know, chapter two, Nehemiah said, all right, whatever you need, whatever you want, I'm going to send it with you. Totally a God thing. And he says, I'm going to give you letters. I'm going to give you armies. They had what's known as a signet ring in that day. And so it was the seal of approval on the letter from the king so that if anybody happened to stop them in this trade dispute, which we don't even have any trade disputes in our world today. And in any of that, they, during this time, they could stop and say, no, he has the right to go into this other country and to be here. And so the king had all his backing. His vision was coming true. Everything was taking place. It looked like this was a great idea. 
And then chapter four happens, and all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness, what took place? So put it up on the screen. Here's where we find out. They go back, they're building the wall, and then in Nehemiah chapter four, the first three verses, it says, when Samballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army, keep going, of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Burned as they are, Sambal's friend Tobiah, the Ammonite, who's actually related to some of these Israelites, said, who is at his side, he said this, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break it down, their wall of stones. But when Sambal, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people, a whole bunch of stinking people and people, okay? There's a lot of people, all right? When they heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gas were being closed, they were very angry. How angry were they? They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Also, our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we're going to kill them and put an end to their work. Well, I thought God told them to go. Why would God allow this kind of stuff to happen? You ever wonder why does God allow stuff to happen in our life? No one's ever wondered that question, right? Trouble came to him in the form of mockery, in the form of intimidation by these guys that were there going, we don't want this wall to be built back up. Many times it's tough from someone in the world to fully comprehend and understand what it is that God is doing in your life. You have to pray. Remember we talked about praying for an opportunity to share your story last week. You know, some of you did this. In fact, I got one report and I asked permission to share this so I don't get in trouble. But uh, one person... I said, I'm related to somebody, and they don't go to church. In fact, I think they're an atheist, they said. And they said, uh, they posted something, the person from our church posted something to Facebook that was offensive to them. And the person said to them, who is an atheist, said, does your pastor know that you posted that? And the person said, well, my pastor can see whatever I post on Facebook. And, and this other person said to, said to them, well, then your pastor and everybody in the church is a hypocrite. Said this in the text. And if you were here last week, I said a quote which got repeated in this text from this person in our church. And the person said, well, my pastor said last weekend, and this, by the way, a person that, total atheist, she she had said in their text, she said, my pastor said the church is filled with hypocrites and there's always room for one more. I'm like, you actually said that to him? She's like, "Uh uh-huh. And she said, and then I had to wait because I didn't hear back from him for a long time. (laughs) I said, well, what happened? And she's like, let me send you a picture of the text. She sends me a picture back and and all the things said from her friend was, We'll see you at church in a couple weeks. Share your story. They're not going to understand right away. But God, when he gets a hold of someone's heart, man, he gets a hold of their heart. Even with the crazy, don't use that, okay, with other people, but use other things. So it comes from without. This mockery, this intimidation, these outside forces in the world. And sometimes, who's your biggest enemy? You are. I'm not good enough to share my story. I'm not good enough to be a Christ follower yet. Nehemiah, the verse 10 says this. We'll put it up on the screen. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labors is giving out and there's so much rubble that we can't rebuild the wall. They're a little discouraged, aren't they? Here's what we don't actually read within scripture. This whole thing, the strength of the labors is giving out and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. This is actually a song. This is a poem in Hebrew. It actually matches up as, as different stanzas that we don't get to read about. And it's a song that there's absolutely no hope. And so the builders of the wall are discouraged. They're actually singing this around on the walls like, we're all gonna die, it's not gonna be worth it, we have no hope. Could you imagine if we started that song today in worship? <laughs> what a great church, man. 
Bring your friends. You're going to be so discouraged when you leave. This is a woe is me poem. Now I know none of you have had woe is me moments. I have in my life. I've had pity parties. I'm usually the only one that shows up for it, but I've had them, okay? This song has no hope. Those in Judah who were complaining, they were all related, even to the outside influence. And so they were trying to stir things up from within. So they were physically and psychologically, they were drained. They were done like, we just can't do it. Let me say this about a fire. If you're a pyromaniac, in other words, if you are now a Christ believer, a Christ follower, you have a mandate to share your story. It's supposed to spread. That's what fire does, okay? That's what it does. And a fire is bold. And so Nehemiah does this. He gives them a strategy for battle. He looks at it and he says, you know what? We're not going to give up. We're going to stand up. We're not going to give up not sharing our story. We're not going to get discouraged. And if we do, we're going to get right back up and go. We're going to get back on the horse and try again or back on the bike and try again. He encourages them with five different attitudes, actually, right here in chapter 4. The first is this. Be prayerful. Be prayerful. That's so simple. Well, I like simple. And here's the deal. You know, I had a friend of mine that once said, he was preaching this message, and he said, well, here's how to do this and how to share your story and how to do this and how to do that. And he said, you know what? We tried everything else. We might as well just pray. Might as well pray. Why not? Check this out. Verses 4 and 5. Hear us our God, for we're despised. And then Nehemiah, man, he steps up right here. Turn their insults back on their own head. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. I don't want to be the recipient of this prayer. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. You know what that is? That's a leader who loves his sheep, but he also wants to make sure that there's sheep outside of those walls that hear about the loving God. That's a bold leader. It's an on-fire leader. Pray. The second, he says, be alert. Be alert. Okay? Be ready. Be ready. Be, be alert. Know what's happening. Verse 9 says, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So think about that. Did the work decrease or increase in this scripture? Does telling your story get easier or harder? Better be prayerful. Better be alert. Better be on guard. Better know that. That's what we call the wall watchers. They were there. They were ready. They were alert. The third thing is be prepared. Any scouts in here? Any scouts? Be pre- a few of you. I'm an Eagle Scout myself. Be prepared was our model, right? We lived that. We, that's what we do. It's what it's about. It's a great model. But you have to be prepared for what's about to happen. You have to realize that when you go to share your story, it's not like some sales pitch where you get objections. And you're like, man, let me tell you about Jesus. And every single time they're going to say, I can't wait to hear no, 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 that's like television, you know, preaching and stuff. No, no, that, that, no. There's going to be times where you might get spit on. There's going to be times where they may say, I don't even care what you have to say. There's going to be times when you're a portable church starting a church called the Bridge Church where you're driving the trailer and because you have a church name, you get flicked off going up and down Bridge Street. Just hypothetically, that might happen. So what do you do? You pray blessing over those people and you pray that they become part of your team someday. That's what you do. There's room for one more, but you got to be prepared. You got to be prepared emotionally for it. They had to be prepared physically for it because they were getting ready for war. These guys were going to kill them. Verses 16 through 20, uh, it's not enough time to put all those verses up there. You can read it on your own. But it talks about how half of them had a sword in one hand and actually a tool in the other. Okay, so they're like, they're ready to work on the wall. They're ready to kick some, you know, booty if it has to happen. You know, they're, they're like ready to go. They're prepared. They're ready for it. They had an army that was ready to attack if need be. 
When you give your life to Christ, you have an army of believers with you. So when you go out and you're sharing your story on your own, or somebody asks you, you're really not on your own, are you? You got a whole family of believers behind you. You got God behind you. You got the Holy Spirit getting a hold of that person's heart. It's not just you. Number four, be united. Be united. Now let me say something about unity. I hate the word unity. It means, it's like flowery and weird and I don't know. It's just, I just don't like it. It's not like a manly word, you know? We're so unified. Oh my gosh. That word, I just, it just bugs me. Anyway, it's my pet peeve. Maybe I can find what it says in Hebrew. But be united doesn't mean, well, we all have to agree on absolutely everything. We all got to be conservatives, or we all got to be liberals, or we all got to be moderates, or we all got to be, you know, that's not what it means. It means, you know what? I don't care what you are. I'm going to love you anyway. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand with you shoulder to shoulder, you know, even though you're wrong. And, and, uh, we're going to do life together. We're going to be unified. If that's not the case and we try to compromise who we are and our values and we try to all make ourselves look the same, that's not unity. That's called a cult, okay? There's a big difference because we want you to be called who you're called to be. We're going to go back to biblical values, absolutely. But unity is loving each other in our own differences. That's what they did. In fact, what they had to do is they were so spread out, verses 19 through 23, that they couldn't even see each other. This was the wall of a city. Why were they building the wall to the city? Because it protected them. It was their greatest offensive strategy and their greatest defensive strategy. So they built this wall to protect them and to keep people out from kicking their butt. And so they had all this set up. But when an army came to attack, if they, get, if they went to one side of the city, the other side of the city wouldn't know, would they? And so they had a trumpeter actually blow the trumpet and the next people would blow the trumpet until it went all the way around the wall. It's like the telephone game, you know? But in that case, if you're getting ready to attack, you don't want to get it wrong, right? So they would blow the trumpet all the way around until they heard it. They were unified, ready for that attack. Here's what's interesting, though. Nothing changed. God didn't go and annihilate all the people. God really didn't perform a miracle here. This isn't a miraculous story that we read. God didn't change their circumstances. He made them harder. Because God didn't care about their circumstances. He cared about the character of their heart. Big difference. One thing changed in the whole thing. Their workload increased. It's the most encouraging scripture all day, Pastor Chris. The last one, number five thing that Nehemiah told them. Be determined. Be determined. Man, they were sold out on the cause of completing this wall. They were like, we're not going to give up. People are getting ready to kill them. And they're like, no. So let me ask you this. Let, rubber hit the road here a little bit. If you are sharing your story and you know you could be killed for it if we lived in a different country, would you continue to share? It's a tough question. It's a tough question. I hope that I would have the guts to continue to share my story. You know, I think I would. And I want you to as well. You know, be determined. Don't give up, no matter what it looks like. You know, one of the biggest things that I see, two things. I want to talk to one of you, whoever's new into the faith of Christianity. If you're new into the faith, you have a target on your back more than a pastor does. Because you're new to the faith, the enemy is going to do everything to try to kill, steal, destroy, and take away that decision that you made. He's going to put things in your mind that you don't even know are real. You're not even going to want to go to church. You're not even going to want to listen to a message. You're not even going to worship. You're not even going to want to pray because you're, you're going to have all this stuff come at you because as determined as you are, so is the enemy determined to wreck it for you. You cannot let him. You have to be determined. And he that is in you, Jesus, is greater than he who is in the world. 
So you've got to realize he's already defeated, okay? So you just tell him to go to hell where he belongs. All right. It's where he lives. I'm not swearing from the pulpit, okay? <laughs> Send your emails to Amy, our accountant, not me. All right. Here's the deal. When we're sold out on something, you're unstoppable, okay? When trouble arises, you have to have a determination, a determination that's greater than the opposition. Any time, though, here's the, check this, any time and every time you take a step towards an opportunity, every single time, you're going to get pushback. Every single time. We have, I can't tell you how many churches we have helped plant from the bridge. We have financially helped, I think it's over 600 in some churches now, plant. Okay? Six, do you guys hear me? 600 churches that we have helped plant financially. That's awesome. Three we serve on and, and we give to still to this day. I mean, that's incredible for a church. Here we are in Mountain. you know? How awesome is that? It's not just about us, but what God is doing, and he's changing the world through, through us. That's incredible. We're determined. We don't want to give up, and we take that opportunity. We want to continue to plant the church. Right now, we almost have $30,000 in our church planting fund, and we're getting ready. We want to plant a church. You know what we need? We need a leader. We need a pastor that says, we need a pastor like me who's dumb enough to go and plant the church. That's what we need. So pray for somebody. It has a call on their life that says, hey, I want to go plant the church because you know what we're going to do? We're going to get behind them. We're going to support them. You know, I might even tell them, come in, talk to us because we might have to send people to go do this. We're not the bridges people. We're God's people. We want to expand so that God can have the greatest impact through this ministry. Can I hear an amen? Come on, somebody. Amen. All right, here's the deal. Those are the five. Now, let me ask you this. Is, are, are, are some things worth fighting for? Are some things worth fighting for? You know, my marriage is one of them. You know, believe it or not, my wife and I, sometimes, we don't see eye to eye, you know? Sometimes my kids and I don't see eye to eye. That's because I have three teenagers. Some of you have teenagers. That's right. They're worth fighting for, though. My marriage is worth fighting for. Seeing a church succeed in this city is worth fighting for. Seeing your life with Christ, where you don't want to give up, that's worth fighting for. In fact, everything in me believes that's worth fighting for. In 2006, I lost my job as a pastor. And uh, um, the reason I did is the church that I was at, some of you know the story, I was, the church was struggling financially. And I had my plan all figured out. Yeah, right. And at the church, I found myself broken because when I was let go due to finances, Heather and I even said, We're not, we don't do this for you know, finances. We just want to be a blessing to people. So we prayed and we prayed and we even prayed just staying there being volunteered because our thoughts were, well, when the pastor retires, we're going to take the church over. That, that was our plan. We had it all figured out. Well, I found myself doing mortgage closings for a while. And while I was doing mortgage closings, it was around 2006 and I was doing refis, which hit the market before 2008. And if you know anything about the real estate market in 2008, it affected a lot of you, it affected us. When that took place, all of a sudden, I had no income. I had a family of five at the time, three kids. Now I have five kids. And I remember being in the house that we built behind St. Francis on Navajo Street, down by the park. I remember we built that, excited to, to live there. That was our dream house. We wanted to be there the rest of our days, have our kids grow up in the St. Francis School District, all of that. And it felt like it was all ripped from me. I had a choice to make. In fact, I didn't want to do ministry. I said, God, you know what? I must not be called to do ministry. Maybe I'm called to go in the secular world. I'd applied at a couple churches, didn't get the job. I'd applied at a, um, at a uh, phone place, actually. It was kind of funny. 
and didn't get the job. And I got to this place where I came to the end of myself, where I just said, you know what, God? Whatever you want is what I want. And I had this prayer. I ended up delivering pizzas at Domino's. Like I said last week, that was my deliverance ministry. And uh, while I was there, one night I was mopping up the floor, and some of you know this, and, and I had this prayer. And this was like, this is my mission, whether I'm in church or not, doesn't matter to me. I just said, God, I want my story, I want my life for the rest of it, however many years you give me, to have the greatest impact for you. That's all I want. That's it. I don't care about anything else. That, that's all I want. If that's just being a dad, I'll be a dad. If that's, if that's delivering pizzas the rest of my life, I'll deliver pizzas the rest of my life. If that's doing ministry, I'll do, whatever you want. I don't even, you know, I don't, I don't care what it is. The next day, I got a call from the pastor down in Eden Prairie. He took me under his wing as a youth pastor. And the leadership that he taught me there has brought this to a head today. I wanted to give up. You're going to be at that point sometime in your faith walk where you have to be determined not to give up and to continue on. The key to being a pyromaniac comes in the form of a riddle. And I was a scout nerd, man. We sit around the campfire telling riddles. Anybody like riddles? Yeah, a few of you. You have a single match. You're in a pitch black room with a candle, an oil lamp, and a gas stove. Which do you light first? The match. That's right. Good job, some of you. You got it. You got it. Why? And who is that fire? You know who the fire is? It's the cornerstone of our faith. The cornerstone of our faith is Jesus Christ. Without that foundation, it's going to crack. To spread that fire, man. And guess what? What happens to cement when it gets really, really hot? Burns, it melts, okay? It can crack, turns into rubble, okay? You might have to feel like you're walking through the fire a little bit when you're sharing your story or when you come to faith. You have to have that cornerstone of faith. Without it, we'll falter, okay? If we try to build a foundation of theology and, you know, what we believe Christianity is without that foundation, we're going to stumble and we're going to fall. Make sure you have Jesus Christ as that foundation. It's that simple. It's just knowing him. God wants all of us to be in the fire-spreading business, okay? Hear me out. I want to make sure everybody hears me. I'm not saying go start a building on fire later, okay? All right? But let God burn through you. People are attracted to your story. People are in your life to hear your story. You know, I have a friend of mine today. He's preaching right now as I'm preaching and he preaches at a church up in St. Cloud. He lost his daughter a few years ago. She was young. Uh, she had a muscular uh, issue. And uh, Kevin, if you're watching, I love you, buddy. And he's sharing about that this morning at, at his church. And uh, what's interesting to me is he didn't give up. God's used him. And uh, last weekend they had, you know, like 500 people at their church that they just planted a few weeks ago. And God's using them. And he's using his story. He's determined he didn't give up on God. Why? because he had a solid foundation. We don't have a solid foundation. It makes it a lot harder. God wants us to desire him with everything within us. When we do that, there's nothing God can't do. That wall in Nehemiah, to this day, they claim it to be a modern-day miracle of the people because in 52 days, they completed the entire wall around Jerusalem. Just Google it sometime and look at the stats of it. It's incredible. It's an incredible modern-day miracle. Even today, it would be. What could we do and what could he do through us if we were all his? Just 100% God, I surrender everything to you.
Look at the ragtag group of disciples he took, what he did with them. What can he do with us? The possibilities to me are only limited by what we're determined to do through the church and through our own lives. I want to end with this. We're going to sing one more song together. Um, A few weeks ago, you know, I wasn't here. Derek was here and he was filling in for me. And during that day, I listened to a preacher that morning. And the preacher, was a great message. It was a great Baptist church and just a phenomenal preacher and communicator. And he had planted the church in which I was listening to his message. At the church, he, he was feeling inadequate to go and to start a church. I can tell you, any church planter felt inadequate to go and do it, okay? And, and he felt so inadequate, like, this is not, this, this isn't for me. I don't even know what to do. And so he went to one of his elders of his church, and he was talking to his elder. And he said, you know what? To his friend, he said, I feel like I'm called to go and plant this church, but I don't feel like I can. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I don't feel like anyone's going to come and, and go and do this. Well, how many have people in your life where they don't talk a lot, but when they do, you just shut up and you listen? Anybody have somebody like that in your life? This, that was this guy. And so he just was quiet and he listened. And he didn't even say anything. He said, well, what did I do? He said, I want to see your Bible. I'm like, what? Grabs his Bible, leather-bound, nice Bible he actually had. He showed it to us. Grabs his Bible. In the front cover, he wrote these words. I don't care what else you remember today. I want you to remember this. He wrote these words in there to this guy who's getting ready to plant the church. Jesus Christ in you is adequate, so get on with it. Man with the scripture. Remember son. You can put that last scripture up there. It's a cool background too, but we, let's do the last scripture first. Thanks. It says this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. It's not on you. It's God in you. Jesus Christ in you is adequate, so get on with it. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.